Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Democrat and a Republican Walk Into a Bar. I'm your Democratic host, Dr. Cindy Banier. And I'm your Republican host, Sean Hartman. And how's it going, everybody? It's Spooktober. And spooky season has spooky begun. Spooky season. A heck um, of a spooky season, hasn't it? Yeah. Politics, for sure. It's been very scary in politics. <laughs> Um, but on the lighthearted side, there's lots of events going on around town. There is a, a dra Dragtober uh, bingo or event here in uh, Ollie's that they're getting ready for. So that's why we're in a little bit different location. It looks really great here. So that starts right after this podcast at 6 p.m. So you should definitely come and check that out. Mm -hmm. um, I'll also be on uh, the Hunted Walk Trail scaring folks mm, yep. as they come in uh, with my democratic policies. Just kidding. I know. Um, I was, was going to say, you're gonna make nothing, a nothing is scarier than, than Dr. Cindy Banyer spouting her democratic agenda. Actually, oh, what was super scary was my daughter just as like a creepy baby following people, which was amazing. Um, so, and if you are, if you actually watch us live, you probably see Evie pop in every once in a while. So she, uh, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I heard she played the role beautifully. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a very fun time. So that's another event. That's a really cool one. That's family friendly, mm. a little scary, but like good time fun and helps the nature center too. So it's the big, biggest fundraiser for the nature center. If you go out there to the Clusa nature center on colonial and Ortiz. It's a see wonderful, there. wonderful place to, to go and yes. visit, especially Largest if you have green children. space in the city oh, yeah. of Fort Myer, too. And it's a water conservation land, so it's very important. And we need this fundraiser. And it's actually every weekend here in October through the end of the month. So oh, nice. um, you can go, go next weekend if you can't go tonight and the following weekend. Uh, you can get your tickets online and save five bucks. Love to see you there. Absolutely. Yeah, we all, it's a very uh, we're good to be back. We had a few uh, week or two off, or probably has it been? It feels like it's been it quite a, a bit. It just it's only been a week, but a lot's happened. Yeah, a lot's <laughs> happened in that one week that it feels like it's been longer. We actually um, just even got a notification thirty minutes before coming on to the show about a potential bipartisan deal that might be happening for the speaker's race. Hakeem Jeffries had announced that there's informal talks currently happening between uh, Republican members, nothing formalized as of yet. Um, and it's not clear if, if you're going to see a lot of Republican turncoats against Jim Jordan, but I don't know if you want to, I'm sure you've been enjoying the chaos. So why don't we go oh, over I mean, what's been going on with the speaker's race? We'll start okay. with that. Let's just roll back a little bit as to how we got here, right? So we had the appropriations bill that were coming up. We had the, the shutdown that was looming and former speaker right. Kevin McCarthy made a deal with the Democrats to make a continuing uh, a continuing resolution to fund the government through November 17th. And because he did that, Matt Gates, as per his threat, uh, going back to the uh, speaker's race for this Congress in January, mm -hmm. uh, if he tried to collaborate with the Democrats, he was going to uh, motion for, to vacate and he did and that after he voted against all these conservative appropriations which were all the things that he wanted anyway he voted against it because at the end of the day matt gates just wanted kevin mccarthy out this is a very he says it wasn't personal but it was totally obviously personal sorry right. yeah no, <laughs> me venting here so okay, go ahead anyway so, continue but yeah no it was something that had been part of the agreement but anyway so that uh <clears throat> That happened, right? So basically, Congress can't function without the Speaker of the House. Yeah. And there was a a temporary, and it remains, uh, Patrick McHenry, McHenry is a temporary, uh, the uh, Speaker pro tem, and is basically in charge of doing the proceedings to elect the new Speaker. But uh, the Republican conference has not been able to come together on yeah. an agreement. Mm -hmm. And so they had originally, behind closed doors, elected Steve Scalise uh, as their candidate for the House Speaker, but he could not get the votes. He could not get to the 217, the magic the, number, the magic right? Number. Because you need what? Four, he needs four Republicans. And if, if, if four Republicans just say, we don't want Steve Scalise, um, then that's it. And we, we don't have the speakership. So Steve Scalise, to his credit, was like, look, I'm not going to waste our time in fighting this fight when I'm right. not going to win. So to his credit, he dropped out. And now the Republicans have nominated Jim Jordan, who had even was, less support. So fantastic. yeah, he had, he had less support in the caucus. But I here's the thing. I thought that with Jim Jordan, 
that he might be able to make some compromises with the more moderate and swing state Republicans. But apparently it doesn't seem seem like that's the case because you're, you're having this talk that some of these moderate Republicans may go with a Democrat. And we'll see exactly how that works to see if it's going to be something to the extent of that they nominate a Republican uh, who is a more moderate Republican or if those Republicans just vote for Hakeem Jeffries and they're, they – make deals or make a promise of some sort. We'll see what happens there. I don't, I would really hope it isn't the latter. I hope that they can find like a moderate Republican who can at least take the speakership. So at least we'll still have the speaker's position. But again, that's where we're at now is, uh, and again, this is one of those, we said it a few weeks ago, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And because, you know, these four to eight, Republicans. And I, I don't necessarily think all of them are extremists. I think all of them have different reasons. I know you disagree with They're me. They're all but, extremists. They're but, all part of the, the Freedom Caucus. They're all part of the extreme. I think, all, I think a few, I think they're not all in agreement as to why they're doing it, regardless. Yeah, because they have no idea. It's not, all just like this insane not, game. Nope. And actually, Jim Jordan was the leader of them, even though he tries to pretend he's not. He was oh, one course. of the uh, you know original members of the Freedom Caucus. And he's put funds into many of these extreme candidates like Byron Donald Grace. Yeah. Yeah, so well, Jim Jim Jordan, that's where he gets a lot of his support is from those those conservative wing of the party. But um, again, this is this has been this is again just a recent development. We'll still it's still anybody's guess to see what happens as to whether or not it's going to be Jim Jordan as speaker, if it's going to be another Republican, if it's going to be um, Hakeem Jeffries at the end of the day. Yeah, who, who really knows how this is going to go at this, <laughs> this point? And until then, the Congress is not working, not able to pass bills, and uh, we'll talk- Moving closer to a government shutdown. Right, moving closer to a government shutdown. So the the numbers are actually on Hakeem Jeffries' side in this case, because there's the Republican conference can only lose four votes. But the Democrats can gain four. Right. Sorry. We can gain four, but there's actually 18 Republicans that are sitting in districts that Biden won. So that means that there are swing districts uh, that they could potentially lose in 2024. So those folks are going to be considering their reelection. And, and it's, well, they also have to also consider their, their primary potential. If they're going to get someone who's going to primary them and kick them out, like like we were just discussing, one of those swing states was Peter, Peter Meyer's race. And Peter lost his race in 2022. He was primaried out. And yeah. that Republican, I think he did. He, I don't even know if he won that race, actually. I think he did. But the point I is, is that like even, even when... Even in those swing districts, you're not just worried about whether or not you can get enough from the independents and the swing voters in that district. You still have to be worried about your own base because they're going to have a primary coming up. This is the whole thing with the Tea Party. But if they lose, see, this is where they're actually caught in this kind of catch-22 because they could potentially be primary, then the Republicans can lose that seat overall. So it will be a major calculus for yeah, everybody. It's, 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 a lot of, it's a lot of chess maneuvering for sure. And to which the Democrats are just sitting back and watching course, the circus of, because this is an entirely Republican inflicted wound. You are unfortunately South not wrong. Wound. And this has been a, a huge nightmare for us because, again, it makes us look bad. It makes us look like we can't govern. It makes us look like we're chaotic and it proves you guys right. And it's problematic because we can't get our crap together. Yeah. So that's how that looks. I wish there was alcohol and the government's in this. About, the government's <laughs> about to shut down again because yeah. the continuing resolution was only through November 17th. Exactly. So really, Kevin McCarthy lose, 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 lost his job for a band-aid. That's the really the funniest part about all this is that he lost his job to just kick the can down the road. He didn't yeah. really do anything major. He should, he should have done more if he was going to put his job at risk like that, but he didn't. And that's just... Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, when Hakeem Jeffries is elected speaker later this <laughs> week, uh, the Congress will be back to functioning. They'll be able to put forth bills. Uh, and here's the good thing is that Democrats don't play the shitty games that Republicans do. And so we are going to be able to put things. We'll work on bipartisan legislation, actually, especially under the leadership of Joe Biden, who is also known as the half loaf president because of his bipartisanism. Um will get more done. So there will be things to negotiate uh, and the country will work and we'll have a functioning Congress and we'll have a budget and we won't have these 
completely ridiculous sideshow acts in charge. Well, hopefully it's more of a moderate Republican speaker, so at least our budget is more fiscally responsible. And again, there is an actual effort of bipartisanship because if it's Hakeem Jeffries as speaker, there really, it really then becomes a Democrat-controlled Congress, a Democrat-controlled Senate, and a Democrat-controlled White House. And um, I, I generally don't think any of those should be either one party at any one point in time. I always think one of the three has to be an opposing party just to ensure a level of balance in the policies that come out. Probably get in trouble for that as a Republican, but, you know. I don't disagree with you. I just think it's unfortunate that the will to govern is simply not there with the Republicans that have yeah. been elected thus far. And that's very evident right now. Mm. And and the fact that the this... Um, Push back like Kevin, uh, not Kevin Cousins, but Matt Gates on the Uniparty, calling them Uniparty, and it's like mm-hmm. the dissuasion to for bipartisanism is a problem. Like we can actually get stuff done if everybody comes to the table and compromises, and we yeah. can work for the American people. But if you have a faction of your party that says absolutely not, we're going to throw you out of power if yeah. you even try then to there's collaborate. No incentives. For to try to find bipartisan exactly. solutions, you're absolutely right. That's the real problem we're having here. Is we are disincentivizing working together, which we need to do because, again, not everyone agrees in this country. That's why we have this pluralistic system where we elect people and re- representatives, and there's two different parties to represent them. You know, we have to have this this uh, mindset to understand that, hey, not everyone agrees with each other and we have to find areas of consensus that work for the whole country, not just your part of the country or based on your beliefs about how your country, how this country needs to be in. Okay. Unfortunately, that that's not the case that a lot of people see right now is people want it to be um, their vision of how the country should be. And it needs to be that way come hell or high water, whether it's it's, you know, Democrats wanting, yep. you know, this or that or Republicans wanting, you know, well, anyway. it all goes down to gerrymandered districts in the House in particular because yep, that's true. when you have gerrymandered districts, which both Democrats and Republicans do, it's mm-hmm. basically whoever's in power gerrymanders in their favor. And then yes. you have districts that are so highly favorable to mm. both parties, Yep. by the way, even though yeah, in what? Florida, mm. we have a majority of the congressional districts are Republican districts. They, they do what's called crack and pack. So they break apart. Mm-hmm. Democratic strongholds, and then they pack the rest of them into districts. So the most Democratic district in the state is nearly double the amount of points in the Democratic favor than the Republican, the yeah. most Republican district. Yeah. And so that means that those those Democrats never have to compromise, and the Republicans never have to compromise, and exactly. that's a problem. To our in the seats, you work with Republicans to ensure that even though it doesn't benefit their party yep, because they know it'll make sure that they'll be in the safe seat for like ever and ever and ever. Yep. So it's unfortunately a thing. And we're both in, in, in strong disagreement of it because the voters need to choose the, their politicians, not the politicians choosing the voters. Absolutely. That's plain and simple. But, um, it's going to be definitely very interesting to see what happens next. You know, obviously we'll have our show next Sunday, God willing, <laughs> But no, I'm assuming we're going to have our show next Sunday. And then when we do, we'll have a better understanding of if we have a speaker and who it's going to be. So maybe we should do like a poll, like something. We, to see if we, pull, we should put a poll out to see what people, who people think is going to be a speak, speaker. And we'll, we'll read the results of that poll live on the show. I say like, I don't know. It's just a, it's a whole ba- barrel of monkeys up it, there. It's been chaotic. And, and it's, if there's one thing that I would agree with the Democrats on is that they were not getting, the, getting into the business of governing. And this is delaying, delaying, delaying. And there are, there are Republicans who are equally as frustrated with this. Because again, we're being held hostage by a small group of people. And that's just... It's unfortunate. Right. And and this is actually the reason that there was renewed interest in this this week or, you know, more intensification was because of the outbreak of the conflict between Israel and Palestine mm-hmm. uh, last weekend. And it became very apparent that, you know, that it was a problem for the United States not having uh, basically a third line to the president and one whole part of their legislature not functioning. Yeah. Uh, and so there was a lot more people that decided to come to the table around that. Uh, in the Israel-Hamas um, conflict is uh, ongoing and tragic and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other major thing that's been going on this week. It has. Um, and I'm actually very glad we didn't have our show last week because it was that was when it started and it was 
very difficult for me as emotionally. I actually have a cousin um, in Jerusalem towards the West Bank. Um, they are fine, but it is something that is very concerning um, to me as someone who comes from a Jewish background, of course, and as someone who has family there. Um, so the previous week, I was a lot angrier than I was now and not as reasonable. Regardless of that, I am still very supportive of Israel and and unfortunately, with the things they have to do, and the, the sad truth is what we do have to realize is there are thousands of Israelis dead and thousands of innocent Palestinians also dead. And at the end of the day, the fault of these thousands of deaths and the foreign foreign deaths as well, because there are many foreign citizens who are uh, killed. There was one, um, I mean, I'm not even going to actually say it because there's been so much misinformation. I don't even know what's true and what's not. So I won't even <laughs> go there. But then that's another unfortunate truth about these type of tragedies is is you get so much misinformation you don't know from both sides because yeah. you have you have both sides who are who are playing the propaganda game. Yep. But I will say that at the end of the day, these deaths are brought on by Hamas, and Hamas is the only one at fault for these actions because of their attack. If they didn't engage in that first attack, Israel wouldn't have need to respond, which is what they're having to do. They are needing to respond because they were attacked, and it's tragic. It hurts. It hurts that that there is not a way that there hasn't. And that the only thing I would probably disagree with Israel on is the lack of effort for humanitarian aid to that area. But again, how do you even secure the humanitarian workers there or ensure that the humanitarian aid gets to who needs it? So it's such a heartbreaking situation and something that me and my church have been praying for for both sides, because at the end of the day, these are innocent lives that are being affected by this by this senseless act of violence and this is not something that either side wants obviously but it is something that unfortunately has happened and has to happen in order to um because of what Hamas did in order to secure Israel and look I have been a long time supporter probably one of the few people in my party who supports a two state solution I am a big believer that um, people have a right to self-determination. I think that's a, a, a core American value when it comes to American foreign policy. The people of a country, going back to the Monroe Doctrine, people get to decide who governs them. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a fundamental part of liberty. And I believe that the Palestinian people have the right to have a free and independent state. I don't believe they have the right to have that state if they cannot peacefully coexist with Israel. Um, I personally think that Israel might need to annex at least the Gaza Strip. Um, I am actually, I think my biggest issue is Hamas is the problem and the Palestinian government that exists there has done nothing to curb them or stop them. Hamas is the Palestinian government. That is that's also the problem. You're absolutely right because Hamas has the control of the parliament, and it's to me. You think about like World War II after World War II, Germany banning the Nazi Party. That was that. Why haven't uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who's been there since 2005, since George W. Bush, why hasn't he done anything? Of course, it's because they don't want to, and so. So I'm uh, so there's a few things on this. So I I want to start by saying. I 100% uh, agree with the condemnation of Hamas's attacks on civilians. Attacks on civilians are never appropriate. Mm. Mm. However, the two-state solution has been very fraught since the inception of Israel in 1947. So, um, and the the Palestinians have lost ground and lost power there. And it's been a real situation for a very long time. And yes, I believe that both uh, Israel and Palestine have the right to self-determination and both should work towards peaceful coexistence. Unfortunately, you do have Pal- uh, Palestinians being oppressed people within the Israeli yeah. state. They are essentially uh, held in the Gaza Strip, which has been oftentimes referred to as the world's largest open air prison with 2 million people unable to have freedom of movement in and out with the Israeli government controlling things like water, food and mm. power in and out. Um, so that causes a lot of problems and more than half the population are children. That's another thing to consider. Most of the people who have the Mm. capacity to work have moved out of that area because there are no jobs essentially there because of the, the blockade that they are in. So, 
Um, I will also say that I, I think that this idea of pinning all the blame entirely on Hamas is not fair because Israel as a state is responsible for their reactions. Uh, so if they choose to target civilians as well, they are responsible. I don't, I don't think they're choosing to target civilians. But again, Hamas puts their missiles in areas where the civilians are at specifically to use them as human shields. So unfortunately, the reason the civilians are hit as collateral damage is because they are now military targets because of where Hamas is putting their I don't stuff. think that's entirely true. I think what's true is that uh, the mm -hmm. Gaza Strip is one of the most densely populated areas that in, is the country, true, yes. in the world. And you're if you are not doing precision strikes and things like that, you're going to have more civilian losses. And it seems like mm. The, the speed of the retaliation is more important than the precision. And that I still think there needs to be responsibility. And, you know, mm. if you think about the evacuation of northern Gaza, you're giving 1.1 million people less than 24 hours to evacuate. Mm. And then the border at the southern part of Gaza is being blocked and bombed. Where are people supposed to go? Mm. So there's there's a lot of problems. And I, I'm not going to give Israel a pass mm. saying that this is all just Hamas's fault. Yes, we can agree that violence against civilians on the part of Hamas was not appropriate. But it is not appropriate to continue to target civilians and to cause a humanitarian it, I crisis. Will, I will agree that they need to be more precise in their position. But again, I... I would disagree with you there where I would say that the fault of all of the inciting incident was Hamas. The reason all of this is happening is because of Hamas. And yes, there may be ways that Israel needs to handle it better and that we could find out in the after effects. And yes, and absolutely, I 100% agree that they need to be more precise in targeting the military targets and specifically to get the hostages out. That's yeah. why I am kind of concerned about what they did. And even the 24 hour thing, I probably wouldn't have done the 24 hour notice because you're basically telling Hamas you have less than 24 hours to kill all these hostages. So I I think it actually shows you how much Israel is committed to keeping the civilians safe because that's 24 hours more than Hamas gave the Israelis. I think the, the counter perspective to that is mm. that the goal is to empty and level Gaza to continue and expand Israeli settlements in the area. Well, I no, I don't think I don't think that's the reason the reason they're going to level Gaza is because they attack. And then they're gonna come in and then they're gonna rebuild, <laughs> just like they did in the West Bank. Mm. So this is this is not just mm. uh uh you know, coincidence. And there are also some in indications that potentially the far right government in <laughs> Israel with Benjamin Netanyahu as a leader, and remember he had to make a coalition government with an even more far right faction in yeah. his, uh, uh, the, of the, among the people that were elected to parliament there. And those folks are pro-settlement, which by the way, have been deemed illegal by the international community mm. and are widely considered a first step towards genocide. So we're talking about mm. Israel continuing a policy and a party in mm. Israel continuing a policy that is globally illegal and yeah. widely condemned. Uh, yeah. And that Egypt actually had given intelligence reports because that was the first thing that we heard that this was an intelligence breakdown. But Egypt had specifically sent cables to Benjamin Netanyahu that there was an eminent attack, even though Hamas I've was trying very desperately to keep this offline. Mm. And those reports were ignored. So okay, some yes. folks have put out the concept that potentially conspiracy theory that they wanted like a 9-11 type thing. Yeah, that it was <laughs> that that this was it, not an unwelcome uh, advancement so that the far right factions could I have, meet their needs. I have also, yeah, I mean, I've heard that I, I've heard that I mean, Egypt had denied it, but I've heard that they sent intelligence, and it wouldn't surprise me that they denied it because they don't want the rest of the Arab nation world to know that hey, you gave Israel this information, right. and you're right. You know, if they did have the intelligence, why wasn't there more action against it? And that is concerning and something that needs to be addressed, and it does weighs, you know, alarm bells. Um, I don't think that this was something that was purposefully done by the Israeli government, but it's definitely it's been like Pearl Harbor. Yeah, like Pearl. Good, that is a good reference. That that that's be like that's oh, a look this one. We'll just play that one. Yeah, because we did have advance notice of that one too. Because the ships are coming. You could just feel like you had to have people at least. But it was it, for those of you that don't get the reference. It was that uh, basically allowed Pearl Harbor to happen without like 
preempting it uh, as a precursor to engage the United States in mm. World War II. Because he very much wanted the U.S. to be involved, but he was forced into neutrality by Congress. And um, so there are a lot of, there's a lot, there's a conspiracy theory and some evidence that there was former knowledge of it by people in the Navy Department. It's disputed. Um, so we don't want to go out there and say that it's true or not, but. It's true. We don't necessarily <laughs> know, but I'm just saying it could be like that. Um, but speaking of misinformation related to this, um, Rebecca Jones and I did a podcast earlier this week diving into one of the more uh disturbing claims that came out um earlier mm. this week about 40 babies being beheaded mm. um and it turns out that that was not true okay. that that Good. was fabricated um that it all came down to one reporter repeating something that had been said by one soldier uh Benjamin Netanyahu and the uh, was it the IDR the Israeli Defense Force or IDF yeah, IDF um their spokesperson was kind of trying to pull this out, say, oh, yeah, like, that's really what happened, uh, because it it really helped to sell the narrative that the Palestinians are brutal and inhumane. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is, is that it wasn't beheading. It was an attack. There were children that died. It wasn't just babies. Um, and the reason it's important to clarify that, not that just children dying isn't horrific. It is horrific. But both Rebecca and I noted this as a piece of viral disinformation that really changed people's minds. And that's the point of propaganda. Yeah. And we have to be very careful. And I think that this, this conflict is going to be rife with that. On both sides, too. Yeah, and this there's tons this of different stuff. Be, this isn't just going to be an Israeli thing. Palestinians no. and Palestinian supporters use the same type of methods, okay? Yeah. So we definitely be wary and, about that. And there's a there, there's uh, connections between Russia, which has massive disinformation campaigns and online mm -hmm. troll farms and bots and things like that, uh, pushing their narrative as well. So um, just be very alert i guess is the best way to put it like don't if you hear something that sounds like so outlandish and really it's almost it's like if you read something and it like it makes you feel an emotion you should put the pause button on because that mm. means that that was crafted in a way to elicit an emotion from you and that you have to reel back and look at what the actual information is and unfortunately even some very major mainstream newspapers and news outlets the president even said he saw it I he mean, did, and then his team walked it back. Yeah, which is very interesting that, that it got to, even to him that yeah. he saw, he apparently saw something that never happened. Right. <laughs> and it was like, oh, no, that was not the exact quote. Well, so. I'm very glad to hear that no baby, not no babies were harmed, but that they weren't beheaded like that. I mean, obviously, many, many babies and children were massacred in this attack. I mean, they were, whole families were targeted like, just yeah. the thought of all of this has been terrifying to me, um, how this all happened. Um, so again, it's, but yeah, you definitely have to be careful with these type of situations. Um, you have people on both sides wanting to make their side look like the winner. And okay. at the end of the day, we actually have to remember no side is the winner. Here. Right. This is, this is a lose, lose situation for both Israel and Palestine. This isn't going to be a happy ending for either side. So. Right. So, and we'll have to see. I'm also concerned of it erupting across the rest of the region. What may happen? Mm -hmm. What other actors will be pulled in? Will Iran be pulled in? Now, there's no evidence that Iran has any connection thus far. Um, but they've been involved with financing Hamas, financing Hezbollah, you know, being involved. Same, I was going to say, same thing with the uh, the $6 billion that uh, Obama yes. that had been given. Mm -hmm. That is also not true. So right now, this that is hasn't, yeah, that hasn't been received by them yet, but I don't think, it, right. I think it should be not should remain frozen after this but let's sure but the other regional factions so you do also have different um you know you have iran you have saudi arabia who play different roles in conflict in the muslim world between the sunnis and the shiites mm -hmm. uh, you have egypt here as well um and the reason that we the united states has always been an ally of israel is be beyond being the first country to formally recognize the independence of israel but they are a democratic a strategic regional ally yeah. when most of the other uh folks and countries in the region are not 
what we would describe as like full-throated allies of the United States, mm -hmm. right? Saudi Arabia is uh, uh, an ally of convenience sometimes, particularly yep. in weapon sales, uh, but no one else is really um, there in supporting democracy. So that's why yeah. the United States is always embroiled in these conflicts when they happen in that region. Absolutely. And um, also, yeah, I would say it's mainly the special relationship the U.S. has with Israel that I think, and of course, the power of the um, pro-Israel lobby. Never forget about APAC and, and the power of the pro-Israel lobby, um, which is an entirely different discussion. Altogether. I mean, APAC is yeah. interesting, too, because, yeah, they are, they fund everybody, they fund both sides of the aisle. And one of the first things that they do is when you get elected to Congress, they offer you an all-expense-paid trip to Israel uh, to see the sites and to meet folks there so that even if you weren't somebody who was an APAC-sponsored candidate, that you begin to develop relationships and, and uh, it's a way to influence and, and get warm feelings about the region as well so uh it's it's a very interesting thing there's a lot of um additional uh influence just between the the jewish diaspora within the united states in different sectors as well um very outspoken sectors like uh, media and uh hollywood as well um financial institutions uh and all of these play oh, you're sounding roles. suspiciously like okay like a, the jews control the hollywood no, they control the control. <laughs> there's influence right same that's thing with that. apec apec is an influence body actually yeah. it's a that's the whole point of having a pack and lobbying is to influence yeah. right yeah. um and you know and there are a lot of people i will say that you know on that note is that there's a lot of americans who are hurting because like you they have friends and family in the region and we actually had a church in naples that was in israel that that yeah, yeah. so there was a, a local church in naples they had a congregation group that was in israel during the attack they just got back a few nights ago they are all safe but it was something that was going around here locally so it affected our our southwest florida community too um and obviously i'm sure there are many people who either have family or friends there who are familiar with it so far 14 americans have died thus far or 20 yeah 14 have died. saying and then so there, there's an assumption that some of those that are hostages are american citizens i think there's like 20 hostages which is again that's the scariest part for me and especially why like I would hope that IDF is trying to get those people out before they do anything to Gaza. But even if we're going into the conspiracy theory mode, I have even seen some pundits suggest that um, Netanyahu is going to sacrifice the the um, hostages. I hope he doesn't. It doesn't seem like something that Israel does. Israel does quite a bit to try to get hostages out. They've traded, you know, talk about like the the trades that president obama and biden did for hostages you know they trade like thousands of terrorists for like one soldier because that's how much their people mean to them um so i'm hoping that they're they're actually action idf is, has always been very good they're a very powerful military force um that is something to be said too so yeah it's it's one of the uh largest strongest and most powerful militaries in the world uh they have a conscription right of both mm. men and women and um and with a strategic relationship with the united states to mm -hmm. fund weapons they're very well defended as well yeah. fun fact actually they recently i think a year or two ago set up a division or branch specifically for israelis on the autism spectrum to be a members of the idf which i think is very cool um, giving them the opportunity to serve over there, <laughs> but um, where, uh, but they have a they have a, a autism branch where they're training training individuals on the autism spectrum, which I think is amazing. Um, interesting to see how that uh, where they where they put them and how how they can of course be of use, but. Um, and also the uh, among the strategic relationships, not just only geopolitics, but the United States also relies on Israel for intelligence, right? Uh, Shin Bet, which is the internal intelligence agency for Israel, and the Mossad, which is the external mm -hmm. one, kind of like our FBI and CIA, but with like way, way, way. Oh my God! Like more. The Mossad was the one. If you've ever seen, you know, the movie Munich. And the story about the is the 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 Berl, uh, not just what was it oh, it was the Munich terrorists. Not only that, they used they also hunted Nazis. Mossad was out there 
hunting Nazis, bringing Nazis to justice, and then hunting the terrorists of the responsible for the Munich bombing. And so they're sort of like the Israel Justice Justice League, if you will. They're the they're the the vengeance of Israel. Yeah. So and Mossad is um yeah basically carte blanche like yeah asked to do a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, clandestinely uh, on behalf of the Israeli government. Um, recently, well, not recently, it might be about 10 years ago now that they got in some pretty major trouble because they actually sent an assassination mission, I want to say to Libya, but it could have been to another place where they had, their Mossad agents had fabricated British passports. And mm. this really made Britain mad <laughs> because they went on an assassination mission and people were like, whoa, they're from Britain, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't their Mossad yeah. agents, um, but they are not. They they absolutely engage in that type of clandestine. Mm. The type of stuff you see on like the and spy movies. It's like it's like it's like the James Bond version of the Israeli intelligence. Israeli, Israeli James Bond, a whole bunch of them. Um, and then the Shin Bet does the same thing, except for interior um, yeah. of the country. So they um, actually the intelligence failure, quote unquote, was uh, pinned on Shin Shin Bet for not having picked this up. Well, uh, for sure, at the at the barest of minimums. So, um, but that is again tragedy. There, definitely keep praying for that area and pray for peace for them as well. Um, I think I want to end though. Um, we've been we talked about this on the car about what's going on here in Cape Coral with J.C. Park. Um, I actually had the opportunity to be on the radio on Drew Steele Radio Daybreak with Drew Steele Hill down here to discuss it because I am a bit of a Cape Coral politics expert. Um, but what's been going on is we have a beautiful green park over here at Cape Coral JC Park, um, right on the Caloosahatchee River. It's quiet. It's where a lot of people go to meditate. The Baha'i uh, Church here um, actually meet there every couple of weeks to do meditation and prayers. Um, it's a very peaceful area and it's, it's right at the edge of a residential neighborhood where a bunch of people live or a bunch of people have their homes and the city council wants to upgrade it and uh, put everything from a splash pad to food trucks that serve alcohol to an amphitheater. And I don't know exactly what changes have been made since, but regardless, people in that area do not want it. And people in that area have been uh, voicing their complaints. And last Wednesday's meeting, we had a resident who decided to protest by sitting backwards and sitting with his back towards the city council. And he got removed by police, which is ridiculous. And I just, I'm just, I just find it so comical and laughable that the city council was so offended by it, but it turned into a commotion. A lot of people were angry. And one person even said, and I think it makes a good point. Why do you ask us to come here and voice our opinions if you're not going to listen? This has been the problem, not just with this council, but with the previous council and the previous council. As far back as I can remember, I've been involved for 10 years. And city council, for some reason, doesn't want to listen to the voters. I don't know why. And it's stressful and it's annoying to these uh, to these residents. And of course, 2024 is coming up and we're going to have four seats. But again, are we going to get more of the same? Or are we going to get people who actually are committed to listening? And then again, you know, we get people who say they are going to listen and then they don't. What's going on there? So what's the deal with these city council politicians? Oh, that's my Jerry Seinfeld impression <laughs> but anyway so <laughs> anyway your thoughts miss, miss, okay so yeah. i know i've i've been following the jc yeah. park uh commotion um i think it's inappropriate to move the, the people from the meeting i think that the main complaint that i heard was that that it wasn't on the agenda and he was being disruptive so I mean, but whatever this, you know, city council is there for people to come and say their piece, mm. uh, whether or not it's on the agenda. So I, I don't really, um, it's my not even that is like, is it, whatever. It's so much that he's sitting backwards. Is that that big of a deal? Like, seriously, is that how, how butthurt do you have to be to be like, oh my God, his back's towards us. Ah. Like, like, why is that grounds for removal? How is he actually disrupting? He was he yelling? Was he complaining? No, he was sitting backwards. Ooh. I mean, I, I'm also. I will say this. 
I don't live in Cape Coral. So, and this is not my neighborhood. So I'm not like, I'm not emotionally attached to this. Mm. Um, I, I do think that nimbyism, like people will push back against change for all sorts of reasons, but is, um, is very common. Right. Mm -hmm. And people will over-exaggerate the negative effects because they just don't want things change. I think that that can be the case in a lot of cases, but if you've gone to JC park, that's not really the case here. When you look at the park, the park is small. What they're trying to do is put a lot of big in that small area. It is a two lane road with a lot of residential area. You grow that park. That's a lot of traffic for those people in the residence to have to deal with a lot more noise that they're going to have to deal with that they don't want to deal with. And again, if you look at the park, I'm not, I'm actually not against the amenities that they want. I just don't want it at that park. That park is not the right place for it. There are plenty of other places where you can put an amphitheater and put um, a food truck with, with alcohol in there and do all these other things. And, you know, maybe certain stuff like the splash pad, I still think would actually be very good at that location because it's not big and disruptive and it's a place for kids to go when there's already like a playground and a little free library there. But you have to understand what the park already is and what it is to that community and what benefit it provides to the community. It's not a place for amenities. It's a place for peace. It's a place, it's a green space that you can go to just be and relax. And it's a great place for a lot of people in Cape Coral that they go to meditate or relax or find comfort or peace and stressful and difficult time, which we are definitely in. So why would why would you take away away from that? It provides a good good quality of life resource to the community in Cape Coral, and it's a place that people all across the Cape come and enjoy too. So that's it's ridiculous to me that this is even being considered, but it is. I don't know. For yeah, I, I agree on the green space. I think it's important, but I have also seen that there's pushback against upgrades in parks, usually because folks in the neighborhood they don't like children and they don't want people coming. That's in. true. That's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Put things in that are like relatively uncontroversial and like it would normally be that like you know you can restrict and say hey it's only going to be on the weekends from those hours like is that really going to bother the people in the neighborhood or is it going to increase the values of their homes which it could very well be but um i I, so for me it's like i don't i'm not emotionally attached to this i can kind of just look at it and say i could really kind of go either way on it i don't know what the ins and outs of it for for uh the council is or the neighbors Mm. themselves but yeah i do know that it's the second kind of big hubbub in cape coral recently on these kind of public properties yeah uh, we also recently had the yacht club um which was damage and stuff like that so i uh, you know i think that there's people who are upset that the council is not listening to them on a multitude of areas and, and, and which is again their job an elected person's job is to listen to the people who elect them to listen to the voters and the constituents that's what they think that, that's what that should be, um, should be. and again it's funny and and we, we were also talking about this too. This is this is a conservative city in the sense that what we're fighting for is conserving these aspects of our city that are important. JC Park is a part of our community and it's an important park. The Yacht Club predates the city of Cape Coral's incorporation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is his. That is that is sacred ground essentially to us. And for them to to do what they're doing, and I can understand why from a an economic standpoint and this is where we were talking about fiscal conservatism running into the the results that we want and again do we want to spend were we willing to spend more money to conserve areas of value like our yacht club and the city council who were voted as a more fiscally conservative council said no we don't want to spend that money and i think a lot of people in this city would be saying are saying yes we would have been willing to spend a little bit more money i mean at the end of the day our taxes are still going up anyway um so we might as well go to something good as opposed to giving what two and a half million dollars to businesses to move here like they've been doing with the business business credit with the the different business program to build this corridor right here trying to build this corridor and the pine island corridor you know, we can, we, you know, we can fund it on actual things that matter to the city and to the people of this community. But so long story short, fiscal conservatism is bullshit. No, that's not. No, nope. butts up against what people actually want and need. Thank you. For no, that's not what I said, but I'm just giving a brief summary. <laughs> 
just a brief summary. I think but we'll fiscal, I would, if, if, if council is making, especially the yacht club decision on fiscal principles, which apparently they are, they didn't have the money. They didn't put the money into updating it. So they couldn't get the sure. funds to be able to uh, leverage from the hurricane. And so they're, privatizing it ostensibly yeah. um so and uh, by the way privatization of public property is a huge part of fiscal conservatism yeah. so yeah like it really is like it, it, it's yeah. all it's like but people only care if it's the park in their backyard right so you know maybe just like look a little bit we, into what fiscal conservatism actually i would probably use the term fiscal responsibility as opposed to fiscal conservatism going on in because i do think you're partially right because we have to really think of conservatism more broadly than economic. When we're talking about conservatism, at least to me, when you're talking about conservatism, it really comes down to what are you conserving? What if you're conserving money and the pocketbook, is that something of value to conserve? In some cases it is, but when it backs, backs up against maybe the pr preservation of the family or the aspects of our community that are important, um, those to me are more important to conserve than the amount of money in our pocketbooks to me at least and make me i remember i started this series as saying i was more libertarian and i'm starting to think i'm more of a compassionate conservative it's not libertarian at all. i'm not libertarian, libertarian at all libertarian would say i have libertarian Daisy part <laughs> sell it i used to be so i used to be and then very, they can do whatever the fuck they want with i it. used to be very big on privatization i actually uh, failed an environmental sciences course and uh, my thesis my not my thesis paper but my paper my final research paper was on privatizing the national parks and this is right after the obama government shut down i used to be a big supporter of it now i'm not because i see the value of it so yeah i'm definitely not as libertarian as i used to be i do have libertarian tendencies but i am definitely more of a compassionate conservative these days i would say um especially because it seems like there's there's a lot more aggression in my party, which is not how I approach conservatism. Um, but uh, that's just me. Obviously, I'm, I've, I, I wanted to bring, I've been thinking about that recently, about these past few episodes. I'm like, I really am not as libertarian as I said I was at the beginning of the series. You just think nobody's as libertarian as they say they are? Because I, I, I don't agree, think anybody yeah. really fundamentally understands what libertarianism and what drives it, and that the ultimate goal is total privatization of everything and the freedom of property, yeah. which includes property of people and land. So I, I will tell you, Atlas Shrugged was the reason I left the libertarian party because i was like i i was so disgusted at the idea that selfishness can be considered a value like mm -hmm. that's an entire that's the entire concept driving most of libertarian philosophy not all of libertarian philosophy but most of libertarian philosophy is is very driven by ayn rand and her um value of selfishness and objectivism and foreign uh, objectivism yeah. philosophy if so, anybody has like in their you know their quote their little blurb on Facebook or anything, or if they even so as mention Atlas Shrugged or Ayn Rand or Fountainhead. Rick Fountainhead, I'm just like, wow, you're a horrible person. And I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily think those people are necessarily horrible people, but they have some, they've been influenced by a horrible thinker who whose entire philosophy is based on selfishness and you getting ahead and not giving a crap about anyone else and it was when i was reading ayn rand and these entire conversations where dagny taggart who is the main female protagonist was telling her brother who was generous and compassionate and trying to give to don't give generously in a philanthropy she was like we don't need to do that we don't need to help people why why does this even matter and it's just like because maybe be a good person maybe care about the less fortunate and that's not how Ayn Rand thinks. Ayn Rand doesn't think about that, but I don't think that I don't think most... she thinks at all. Not <laughs> she's dead. No, of course now, but she didn't. And I don't she, think she that a like lot of people, I don't think that people who are necessarily influenced by her are as heartless as she is, but they are influenced by that philosophy. I think it's a, I think people think it's attractive in this whole, like the, the sovereign nation too, like, oh, that I sovereign don't, citizen. Yeah, the sovereign, yeah, sovereign citizen, citizen like, oh, movement. I have to pay taxes and I can just do what I want. I and like there, there's a certain level of attractiveness that I think that is there, but unfortunately it's not really rooted in practicality yeah um and we and need we're, how we're we social, have to work as yeah human beings we're social animals we have to survive with each other this idea that that everyone's an individual and everyone can 
succeed as an individual. That's unfortunately not true. We have to work together in order to succeed in some form of group capacity, whether it's a family or whether it's on a larger organization or whether it's a governing system. Right. You know, we, we have design yeah. governments Based to do the things that. that we can't do alone, like mm -hmm. build roads and airports and yep. all this stuff, collective defense and all that other stuff. So, you know, that's the other thing. That's the, the, misinformation that I think a lot of uh, American libertarians come from is like, you're already in a system where a huge portion of things are provided for you, mm. right? Um, so you don't really get to choose and say like, oh, I'm just not gonna do any of that, yeah. right? Like you're really talking about like you would have to live off grid, you know, like no cars, no electricity, no purchasing. Yeah. Uh, you know, 90% of our products come through ports. Ports are maintained by you the government. Self fully self-sustained, exactly. fully self-reliant. Living, a, and even then, it's like, even if you're going to like try to live off the land, whose land, what land, which land? And who governs that? The government. <laughs> land use, policy, et cetera, and stuff. And that, so yeah, so, I mean, you never really get, in, in, always keep in mind, right? These systems in our government are human systems. We've developed them. We developed them for a purpose, right? And we're lucky enough to live in a democracy where we get to have a say, right? So we built the systems that serve us and our needs at the time, right? So if there's something that you don't like, get involved, run for office, advocate, you know, Which whatever. Of course, libertarians don't because they see voting as a, a show of force because you're forcing your beliefs on other Listen, people. A whole bunch of people voted for Gary Johnson. I did. Yep, I did. I, I'm sorry. I, I voted for him in 2012 and 2016, actually. He yeah. was my type of libertarian. <laughs> anyway. Is it like virtually non-existent? He was, unfortunately. But I, I actually met him in 2012. When he was running in 2012, he visited FGCU. I have an old photo of me, 50 pounds heavier, when I was like really like big. And it was me with in my, uh, what was the, the douchebag cap? What's the uh, fedora? That one. I was I had a fedora face, and it was me. I had a fedora face. I had a fedora face, and I have a photo of me somewhere on my Facebook of me and Gary Johnson, and I'm like 50 pounds bigger, wearing a fedora, thinking I'm the coolest thing in the world. Wow. So, and let's leave on that. Let's yes, leave on that today. note. Why don't so, we? Yes, of course. Why thanks not? Thanks so much for joining us here today at a Democrat and Republican walk into a bar. I've been your Democratic host, Dr. Cindy Banier. Thank you so much. Next week, we're hopefully we will have a speaker, God willing. And also, we yes, we'll we'll see if we'll have a functioning government by then. Won't that be fun? Um, then we will be coming up onto our holiday schedule. So just t stay tuned to the social media for Big Mouth Media to understand whether or not we're going to be here, or live shows, or what have you. Yeah. We're still discussing it. Um, uh, we're going to do that, but we'll keep you informed. Uh, and if you'd like to support us in independent media, please do subscribe to the show on the plans and pricing page on Big Mouth Media at bigmouthmediafl.com. And um, we can get subscriptions to this for $4.99 a month directly delivered to your inbox. So you get not only the uh, audio podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts, but you get the video itself mm -hmm. edited. And then when we get some special events coming up, You'll get invited to those as well. And you'll get access to all of the amazing things that we have on Big Mouth Media, and you'll be helping independent media. So that is www.bigmouthmediafl.com. Thanks so much for joining us here today, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>